I, I found the word you used, uh, disrupting, right? Disrupting. I found it interesting. Um, pardon me to say, I don't, I don't think there's a lot of disruption to be done. I think there's building to be done. Yeah. Right. I think we can talk about disruption in places that has systems that actually work. Um, we, we are trying to leapfrog. Yeah. Right. Leapfrog to actually build systems that work. Um, if you try to find your way around cities like um, Cote d'Ivoire, um, Abidjan, or Lagos, you would realize <laughs> that there's no disruption to be done. Yeah. It's building. Yeah, it's a... Right? Because it's a mess. Um, you're leaving one place and you don't know when you're going to get to your destination. You have no, you have no clue. Yeah. Or maybe you have like a one hour uh, give or take. It's not good enough right um it's 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 not good enough for a country who wants to grow their gdp and so um i feel like a lot of the mobility companies are basically creating from scratch welcome to the mobility innovators podcast Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Mobility Innovator Podcast. I'm your host, Jaspal Singh. Mobility Innovator Podcast invite key innovator and investor in the transportation and logistics sector to share their experience and their forecast for the future. In this episode, we'll be discussing the role of venture capital to support innovation in Africa and also how Africa is emerging as the next innovation hub. Our today's guest is an amazing emerging market seed stage investor who is the managing partner at V Capital, a Pan-Africa early stage venture capital firm. Before launching V Capital, he started his careers in commercial banking with Nigeria Guaranteed Trust Bank. Later, working as a TEI consultant at Forrester, a global market research firm advising some of the biggest technology companies. He also worked at Silicon Valley Bank's early stage practice supporting early stage startups across the East Coast of the US. In 2019, he launched his first Fund V Capital with $5 million. And in August 2022, he did the first close of his second fund of $30 million. The fund is making investment in logistic, mobility, fintech, e-commerce, healthcare, and enterprise software sector. I'm so happy to welcome Olu Onisan, managing partner at V Capital. Now it's time to listen and learn. Hello, Alu. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Um, same here, Jasper. Um, very interesting um, pieces, very interesting theme for the podcast. Um, yes, I'm excited. Great. So today I'll be spending time getting to know more about you, about We Capital, uh, which is your venture fund, and also the startup ecosystem in Africa. Mm-hmm. To begin with, I would like to ask you if you can share some fun fact about yourself uh, with our listener and uh, i saw your linkedin profile is uh, quite detailed but is there any fact which you are still hiding from the world uh, uh, <laughs> um fun facts fun facts fun facts fun facts um okay two things um i previously wanted to be a professional footballer soccer okay player. right um as you know Every dad from an emerging market or a country that's poor knows that that's a no-no. You're either a doctor, lawyer, in finance, engineer, engineer or a disgrace to the family, right? Yeah. 
So they didn't want me to be a disgrace to the family. So I wasn't led to do that, but I was pretty good at it. Um, the second thing is I've been fired before. Mm. Oh. <laughs> <Right>? oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's a, that's, that, I, I don't think that's when I share her often. Um, I think I'm, I'm probably keeping it for some um, very interesting times. Maybe I'll sell rights on a book for it. Okay. Okay. But, but that's interesting. That's interesting. But it's always, I always tell people to grow in life. You need to take a step back. So probably mm -hmm. that was the moment where it give you a rocket push and propel you. Right. Right. Correct. And immigrant parents, it's the same story. Now I'm a parent and I'm an immigrant. So mm -hmm. if my kid come to me and say, I want to be a footballer, probably I'll also <laughs> follow my dad's footsteps. But, but I'll, I'll tell them, okay, be a footballer, but be a doctor as well <laughs> which you know is impossible so <laughs> which just, is impossible you I know. <laughs> but but i think i think there are more sense now but i think it's a it's a it's a journey our parents uh, went through and they want uh, best for us so now something interesting on your linkedin profile and you mentioned uh, on your linkedin profile that you want to democratize opportunity through venture capital uh, mm -hmm. which is a kind of a headline for your linkedin but i think it's also your personal mission so I'm curious to know the story behind this mission, why you felt that way. And, and also I saw you have a successful career as a, as a banker. So what inspired you to take this path and set up the e-capital? Um, so there are a bunch of uh, different things. Um, first of all, I think looking back right now, or, you know, just looking on my career from outside, it might look normal, but I would say um, for where I am today and what I'm doing, I'm probably pretty disadvantaged, right? Getting into here or underprivileged, yeah. right? Um, my privilege and my opportunities growing up don't add up to what I do today or um, my career trajectory, where it's gotten to or where it's going, right? It doesn't add up. Um, and I think what makes it even <laughs> what makes it even crazier is it doesn't look like it, mm. right? Um, but so it's been my life has been um, a roller coaster of positive outcomes. Yeah, right. Um, almost every time there could be a positive or a negative outcome, almost every time, right? Yeah, yeah. it usually comes out as a positive outcome, especially in life changing moments. And um, it lends itself to understanding what opportunity and outcomes can be for people's lives, right? And this, what, what, what a better way of um, expressing opportunity and outcomes than entrepreneurship, yeah. right? Um, and so entrepreneurship is that place where uh, it, it, it kind of takes you out of the grid and you can be whoever you want to be yeah. without the, 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 the constraint of status quo and all those kind of things, right? It's yeah. wild, wild west where it's, there's a lot more, there's a lot more um, basically just, just earning what you put in, right? As an entrepreneur, um, no one asks you for your degree. No one asks you how well did you do. No one asks you for your work experience when they're buying a product that you love, that they love. 
Yeah. Right? You've come out here, you've created a product. They love it. They don't care. Right. And so nothing, nothing, um, nothing brings democratization like entrepreneurship. Right. But a lot of times what entrepreneurship has become in the world today is that that entrepreneurship usually needs to be funded. Mm. Um, personal experience, Francesco and I had started a company in 2016 called Wi-Fi Monkey. Okay. That we were unable to raise money for. I, a Nigerian immigrant, he is Swiss immigrants, <laughs> even though those are classes of immigrants. <laughs> right? But still, um, it was very difficult. And so what we really experienced at the time was that we had, we're sitting on a great, great idea, big market, but we were just unable to, you know, get the kind of funding that um, other people would have had access to. And so this coupled with my uh, just background and um, interactions with opportunity across my life, we said, why don't we find a way where everyone who has the potential to be great can be great with our help mm. right we've now been blessed with a little more validation in our careers uh a better network not forgetting where we're coming from we said we can change the story for the next um hundreds or thousands of entrepreneurs coming behind us who don't fit um the regular mold of a man who you know trash the first startup and raise mm -hmm. 350 million the next uh, year or two, right? We don't have that opportunity. And so let's at least give one opportunity to people who are um, like us. And that's where we really came uh, at it from, right? And you know what they say that um, um, talent is evenly distributed, but opportunity is not. And so um, what we actually set out to do was to try to balance that skill a little more. We still have a long way to go, but I think we've started in the right direction. Yeah, no, oh, that's superb. Uh, I really love uh, your point uh, that how entrepreneurship can be a big leveler in the society. So as an entrepreneur, nobody asks which college you come from, which uh, educational background you have, what kind of experience you have, if people like your product. So they don't care about uh, those kind of a thing. And that's what we see. A lot of this uh, successful entrepreneurship story is people are school dropout or college dropout uh, you will never see them succeed in a professional career but they can do that and i think it's 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 the best way to bring equality in the society giving opportunity to people who has potential so right. so great to great to hear that now your fund is focused on africa and uh, i think africa now. Yeah, for now for now okay so so you are planning to to expand uh, to other geography in future um, that's, I think that's the, that's the topic for another day. Right. Um, but as I said, again, opportunity, talent is evenly distributed, right? Yeah. We have investors in Africa who are just as good as any other global investors. Right. And, um, so there's a lot of unique insights that we have that we shared with the world. Mm. Um, I think maybe when a lot of African investors get mainstream, yeah. Some of the problems we have in venture capital today will be solved. But again, um, as I say, charity begins at home. Um, we're going to use Africa's prosperity as a case study so okay. that the world can learn from us. Well, that's great. No, I think that's a, that's a good point. You know, always start from your home and then take it to the world. Now, 
for Africa, you are doing some amazing work. And the reason for that is it's a big market. And, and right now it has a big population, around 1.4 billion uh, yeah. population in the continent. And it will, it will be one of the continent which will keep growing in terms of a population. Mm-hmm. But I think the challenge for big population cannot be solved by the traditional way. You have to involve tech and technology. So we will right. see a lot of tech startup uh, right. in Africa. But uh, the reason is always neglected or ignored by the venture capital firm. Uh, in fact, uh, it attracted only 1% of global venture funding in Africa, which, which, which is pathetic because it should get more. So it's I would love to, to know. About, it's going to go to about 2% this year. Oh, that's great. So at least it's 100% growth, but it's still still small. <laughs> it's still small. Yeah. I feel when you have a 16% population of the world, so 2% venture capital uh, funding is not enough. But I think the what you are doing, it will change. But I would love to know your experience because you are working in the continent. And like you said, you, you have your roots in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. How this startup ecosystem is evolving in Africa and like you said, it, this year it will go to 2%. What is your prediction for 10 years? Like uh, in 2030, uh, what share we can see from uh, the startup coming from Africa? Um, so I'll start with your first question on just what I see as the um, ecosystem today. Um, clearly, the funding numbers say something, right? Two years ago, we were at 1.3 billion um, as a continent. Yeah. This year, we're going to cross 5 billion, right? So clearly, we're doing more than 100% growth year on year. Yeah. And um, that 5 billion is, is symbolic this year, just given how much the rest of the world has shrunk. Yeah. Right? And this is the reason why, when you just oppose it, our, the growth actually um, tells a story, a very tiny story, but a profound one that... Um, um investors are getting more bullish mm. right about africa so that's the that's the first thing the other thing you would see is just that apart from the share growth there's development right um the the ecosystem is getting a lot more um sophisticated right you see global accelerators now some basically there's now textiles in Lagos. Yeah. Really setting up the kind of things that you see where resources start to gather around opportunity, right? And just the knowledge about how to build a company is getting more common on the streets of Lagos, right? Um, it's 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 less of a unique career to say I'm a yeah. startup founder, right? Um, they know it's come of age. And this is how you know that, you know, um, a country or people have started to deploy their resources, either it's time, either it's recognition or money just around um, entrepreneurship of what it, it is as new age opportunity. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is really what you think it's going to be in the next few years, hmm. right? Um, as someone who, again, is a proponent of democratization. My answer is it depends. Mm. It depends on what we do with what we've got right now, right? And this is why I think at WeCapital, we have have a a very unique approach 
to how we look at um, being a VC investor. And I tell my team this all the time, like, yeah, it's great to be in TechCrunch, you know, it's great to be doing all those things, um, but eventually you're a money manager, right? And um, the one single thing that underscores the performance of the money manager is not how much publicity you've been able to bring to the asset class. You know, it's not how many times you appeared on CNN. It's not how many times you appeared on TechCrunch. Yeah. It's not how cool it made you look. It's how much of that money did you return to the providers of capital? Yeah. Right. And I think as VCs, especially in tech, um, we have to keep our eyes on the ball. Right. And this is why I said, what that number is going to be in a few years depends on us. Depends <laughs> on what we do. Depends on funds like We Capital, right? Are we going to go back and return five, six, seven x cash on cash to our investors, right? If we do that, it's not going to be a question. If we don't do that, then it becomes a question, right? But what's going to happen? Mm. And so that's why I I really say just. Uh, and this is not out of a place of pessimism. It's out of a place of just knowing how capital works. Yeah. To say um, what direction is going to go is going to depend on how we've traded the capital that's coming in, right? Um, I think just the early signs are really good. Um, our fund is doing pretty well, especially the first fund. And I know many other funds uh, across the continent are doing pretty well, right? Um, liquidity is becoming an easier topic to address. Yeah. Right. And so I think just going the way we're going, um, we're probably going to maybe get to 5% mm. of what the global is. It will be short of the 16% of the population. Yeah. But it's a start. It's a good start. Yeah, no, I think 5% is also a good number. Uh, and and I love your answer. Actually, uh, it's like taking that responsibility, not saying that others are not doing it, but taking the responsibility saying as a VC fund, you need to bring return. And if you bring return, the investor will come and ready to put the money, more money in. I mean, your sure. next fund can be $100 million and another one can be $500 million. But the condition is, have you returned three or four times of your previous fund? So if you can right. do that, the size can keep going. Right. That's great. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that perspective. I really loved uh, Olu. Now about your fund, I just, I'm, I'm curious to know what is your thesis? What are the sector you're investing and why you pick those sectors? So um, I'll tell you, first of all is, and I'll give you, I'll give you my career background. I started my career in banking, funding mm -hmm. small businesses, right? In Nigeria. And um, it's usually not that it's, it's usually not the um, it's, it's it's not the background of most people in venture capital today. Yeah, right. Um, people with my kind of backgrounds back in the day they used to call them um, recovering bankers. Oh, <laughs> right. Basically, people who didn't just see tech as this huge um, growth um, rocket that it was, right. Um, it's different for me because I had worked in technology consulting after that. And I think it gave me a very rounded um, opinion of what tech and tech growth 
growth in tech sh should look like and mm. the kind of results that you want to be seeing, the kind of impact that this company should be having on the community that they serve. Um, that being said, I, I, I personally think that, um, I personally think that we need to, we need to go through a very, um, result centric approach, mm. right? Result centric yeah. approach. Um, and so I came from a very traditional background, right? I came from a very traditional background, which is in credit risk where you deal with a lot of numbers, right? Figuring that out and then um, coming into tech. So it's, for me personally, I think the approach we need to be taking is basically a results-oriented uh, approach. Is and, there something and, specific you would like to know? Yeah, I mean, I would love to know which are uh, your sector you're investing uh, and why did you pick like uh, I read on your on, on your profile that you're investing in healthcare, fintech, mm -hmm. uh, e-commerce, uh, mobility and logistic. Yeah. Why did you pick so, those sector? So just piggybacking on what I said as a result oriented approach, right? Um, the way Africa is set up today, it's again, it's it's I call it VC 1.0. Yeah. Right. And VC 1.0 is basically that result-oriented level where it's venture hits directly to uh, the lifestyle and the living conditions of the people. Mm. Our needs are different. We're still lower on the pyramid of the hierarchy of need. Yeah. Right? And so when we were starting Recapital, we decided to take a result-oriented approach. Yeah. Like what are the most basic needs? of the people in the communities we serve, right? And what's the easiest way to really attack, uh, for need of a better word, poverty, right? Yeah. Still make decent returns to your investors. And so we went for the VC 1.0 sectors. We said, if we can enable people to do better business, right? Create opportunities for themselves yeah. and stay in best shape. So I'll call it uh, a human-centric approach. Mm. So that's why you see us doing a lot of investments in financial technology, yeah, right, digital commerce, mobility and logistics, mm. and in software. These are the places that really attack developmental poverty from the roots, yeah. right? And as I call it again, it's VC 1.0. And this is what's responsible for how we picked the sectors we invest in. We want to make real impact now. Interesting, interesting. No, I, I never thought from that perspective, but I think what you mentioned make quite a lot of sense is uh, these are the sector which has a direct impact on people life and any startup uh, which will be doing something, whether it's a fintech, uh, helping a cashless society or healthcare or e-commerce providing uh, opportunity to seller to reach out to a bigger market and mobility and logistic, which I always feel is a, is a key for any developed city or, or developing city. To oh, absolutely. And they run on each other, right? Yeah. So if there's no logistics. You can't do commerce. Yeah. Right. Unless all you want to ship is software product. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah so that's why they work hand in hand and we kind of cross-pollinate ideas and learnings across 
these sectors as we invest. Well, I, I love your point about human-centric investment. A lot of people say human-centric uh, customer approach and all, but never heard about this term of using human-centric uh, investment approach. Now, the the sector we talk about, uh, mobility and logistic, which is close to my heart too, because right. I feel uh, that's a key differentiator between a developing and developed market, uh, getting access for goods and people. Uh, if people have access to goods and people can have access to job, it, it's altogether a different story. And right. mobility is one of the areas which, which is growing in Africa. I mean, I have seen a lot of mobility startup coming up in last two, three years. In yeah. fact, some of them are going global. How do you see that the, the startup in the mobility and logistics sector are actually dis- disrupting the market at the grassroots level because you're working very closely with them? And also would be interested to know a little bit about some startup in your portfolio, uh, like which are your favorite. It's difficult to point out, pick one or two, but at the same time. I like the fact that you know that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I asked this question to to investor, like, which is your favorite? And they say, like, how can I pick my one kid over other? So all of exactly. them are my favorite. <laughs> But uh, I want to understand which one you feel is like really uh, making huge impact in people's life. Okay, um, so to start, um, I I found the word you used, uh, disrupting, right? Disrupting. I found it interesting. Um, pardon me to say, I don't I don't think there's a lot of disruption to be done. I think there's building to be done. Yeah. Right. I think we can talk about disruption in places that has systems that actually work. Um, we we are trying to leapfrog. Yeah. Right. Leapfrog to actually build systems that work. Um, if you try to find your way around cities like um, Cote d'Ivoire, um, Abidjan, or Lagos, you would realize. <laughs> that there's no disruption to be done. Yeah, it's building. Yeah, it's a... Right? Because it's a mess. Um, you're leaving one place and you don't know when you're going to get to your destination. You have no you have no clue. Yeah. Or maybe you have like a one hour uh, give or take. It's not good enough, right? Um, it's, 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 it's not good enough for a country who wants to grow their GDP. And so um, I feel like a lot of the mobility companies are basically creating from scratch. Right, some leveraging on some things that are already existing, but it's not a lot. Right, so we've invested across um, countries and across com- um, companies doing mobility, either by physical assets or by software. Mm. Um, sometimes the same um, products that carry people also carry um, the same products that or the same solution that carry people also carry products. So mobility and logistics at some point um, mix, right? Um, But you need mobility to do logistics, right? Um, And vice versa. So they're pretty intertwined. So we've invested all around from um, uh, companies who are doing uh, last mile, right? Um, Some who are doing green mobility, um, some who are doing basically software for logistics and mobility. Yeah. Um, some interesting companies in our portfolio are Our Bike, who are um, basically doing um, their, their like uh, 
they 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 do bicycle mobility in universities mm-hmm. across Nigeria. Okay. Um, currently, they do maybe about four thousand rides every day in about thirteen campuses across that. Um, it's really hard work. Yeah. Right. Um, plagued with all these problems, including um, government strikes in universities. And this is why I say there's nothing to disrupt. <laughs> yeah, it's it's to build. No, I love your point. Right. I love your um, point. So that's that. We have um, an investment in a company called uh, Twin Day Mobility, mm-hmm. whose product is called Twift in Kenya, basically yeah. pro- providing um, SaaS product for third-party logistics operators, right? So basically, it's like your right OS out of the box if okay. you run that kind of business, right? So infrastructure level, we have an investment in a company like OK High. They're basically this time producing, uh, um, creates like KYC and location um, products for both mobility, logistics, and in fintech, right? So basically, locates the person you're going to either deliver a package to or the bank wants to know where they live, right? Mm. Very accurate. It was built by a team whose founder was an um, ex-Google Maps engineer. And so we have companies like that. And we also have um, MVX out of Nigeria, which is more logistics. And um, MVX is is very um, unique and special in the direction of their product targeting. It's actually helping people who would not have been able to sell to maybe somebody in India mm. or someone in Mexico before, right? You have a product, you sell cotton, you sell cocoa, you sell um, shea butter. Yeah. And now, right, Jasper, who's based in, uh, in Mumbai, actually wants your product. So on MDX, Jasper can buy from you and they'll take care of everything end to end, right? Uh, logistics from your door to Jasper's door in the other country. And not only does it do mobility, it does help trade. Yeah. Now you're actually expanding the opportunity for a business owner somewhere in the world, going back to our original mission, right, of putting this fund together. And so those are some of the companies in our portfolio. Um, We've looked at many, many, many other great companies that um, we couldn't um, back. Right. Of course, you can't back every company. Oh, there yeah. are great companies doing things um, out there. Um, so that's that's a lot of our portfolio. Um, what was the second thing you wanted to know? Yeah. So basically, about uh, like why why you feel that uh, this mobility is important in Africa, but you already answered about like it's a building, mm-hmm. and I I love your answer because and thanks for correcting me. You rightly mm-hmm. mentioned it's not a disruption; it's actually the building. Uh, because sorry, sorry, of- I have a lot of. No. <laughs> I'm an angry VC. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I love uh, I love to be okay. get corrected, and uh, in fact, that's that's one of the thing I want to check with you and understand and pick your brain. Like you said, the Africa want to leapfrog now. You don't want to take the traditional path, and uh, we and need take- to. You don't have a yeah, choice. You don't have We're a choice. Having more babies quicker than we can uh, cater it- for them. So we need to, it's, it's need to. an urgent and, matter. And one of the area you need to leapfrog is the electric vehicle space uh, because uh, the world is moving toward electric vehicle. Uh, till now, the motorization rate is very low in Africa, but it will grow. People will get more money. People will become richer. So you need mobility. You will buy vehicles. You mm-hmm. need electric buses and uh, the trains and all. 
Now, last I like year, how you've made that. I like how you've made that assumption. <laughs> Not that every country is, needs to move towards electric. <laughs> uh, I I I didn't make an assumption, but why I feel that is happening is uh, one Africa has a lot of solar, uh, which can be harnessed, uh, which which a lot of people miss. Mm-hmm. Secondly. I think Africa cannot do the same mistake what other country did with the fossil fuel because the pollution level. Uh, so the, that's why I want to check with you. What do you think about this yeah. whole electric vehicle phenomena going on around the world? <laughs> so, yeah, this is, um, I feel like this is half an engineering conversation as it is a political conversation. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's why... The moment I heard, oh yeah, and Africa needs to move towards electric. Um, that's that's the reason why I probably interjected and said, mm. and this is not this is not really uh, this is not an expression of my opinion. This is more um, just having a, a very rounded discussion, right? Um, I don't think there's one way, yeah. one single way uh, to skin a cat, right? Um, and again, a lot of countries, as you said, have made this mistake. Yeah. They're better off for today. And they're in a position to do where that. now they can switch, right? Because now they're disrupting what they already have, what they built with fossil fuels, yeah. right? We yeah. don't have anything. And the question is, should we leapfrog? That's the first question. Yeah. Right? Should we leapfrog? Or we should go through the developmental phases Every country exactly. went through, right? Um, should we be looking for our own net zero? Most of these countries have contributed most, oh yeah, mostly right to the carbon footprint we have today. Oh yeah, right. And so, what does net zero look like? Is it net zero for the world? Right? Do you contribute most of this? Develop your own infrastructure, and then turn around and say, "Oh no, everyone, now let's go clean." <laughs> right that's or, what's happening that's uh, what's happening that's what's happening right now you know right. like everybody's or, pushing or do you let us um develop at our own pace and then go clean too and yeah. everyone owes responsibility for their uh net zero i guess that's that's a question to be answered right and also there are things around competitive advantage right um um some some countries right are rich um in lithium some countries aren't yeah um, going electric is going to make some countries poorer it's going to make some countries richer and as i said this is this is getting into uh it's it's a public policy um conversation as much as it is a venture capital investing conversation and so i definitely believe we need smarter hmm. cheaper and less harmful um, ways to move people around, mm. right? But also, um, we need to move people around. Yeah, it's the yeah, first. Thing. I agree. I and goods around, right? That one is existential. And so, I think um, each government has to really figure out what's the best situation for them and their mm. people, right? And then we will layer on top. Uh, the topics of sustainability as it works for each person. But uh, I do agree with you that um, EVs have um, actually uh, created a lot of disruption, right? Is it cheaper? 
the jury's still out. Yeah. Is yeah. it more sustainable in the long term with all the lithium and the batteries? The jury's still out. Right. Um, but I don't think we should, as a world, I don't think we should stop at EVs and say we found it. Hmm. Maybe we can go to water. Who knows? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I, as I said again, that if you, if you if you're a country that is rich in lithium and poor in petroleum, I think you probably want to be figuring out how you use your own homegrown resources best. Hmm. It's really going to um, accelerate development and just prosperity for the country, right? And I also think every country should move at their own pace. Yeah, right. No, I, because, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I mean, these are important points. And one right. point I feel what you your team mentioned is critical is that at the end, people need to move. The goods need to move around. So you cannot right. stop those developments right. and saying... It's just like know. the, 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 the um, excuse I make for America, right? And so I'm, I'm both American and Nigerian. And so it's a very, it's a very tricky place to sit, <laughs> right? Very true. But, um, you know, you go to Europe or you go to Africa and they say, you know, the food you guys eat in America is trash, hmm. right? The food... Um, this, um, makes people fat, makes people die. I agree. Right. But I even notice each time I'm going on, I'm going fundraising in America, right. I gain a few pounds and I'm eating <laughs> pounds of food, right. What else is going bad with my body? I don't even know. Yeah. That's it. But I said, what it is, is that America has two problems, right? One is to make sure people are healthy from the food they eat. Hmm. The second one, which is existential, is to make sure people don't even die of hunger. Yeah. So you need to solve the first one. <laughs> and they had to make a call. Yeah. And said, you know, let's let's lower your life expectancy by like five years, but let's keep you alive. Yeah. Let's make sure you don't die today. Because and of so, hunger. Yes. Um, all this food is out there. Less people are dying of hunger. What's gonna happen? At 60, 70, how much is your healthcare bill going to be? I don't know. <laughs> right? So that's the same thing uh, with the conversation. We need to move people around first yeah. and goods around first. It's yeah. existential. Right? How to best do it sustainably is the next phase that we are going to attack. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a process. And uh, I mean, some way you can leapfrog, but at the same time, I mean, we... To be honest, I'm seeing a lot of traction on EV front in Africa, but like you said, it's not equal. It's not like all country can do it because some sure. country have resources, uh, lithiums or mines, which can be used uh, for battery production, but other countries, they don't. So sure. it will create uh, another kind of inequality in the society. Now, I yeah. love your candid answer. I mean, I really appreciate it because a lot of time people people hide uh, open opinion, you know, and, and we should we should have our own opinion. Right. Uh, in fact, when Elon Musk tweeted recently and he said we should increase the oil production, he's selling EV, but at the same time, he said for current time, we have to increase the oil production. So he, he basically said, you can't just stop living. You can't stop the oil production because you said right. we going in EV, but that will take time. So, so in the same way, like you mentioned, it's good to go for EV. But you need to live today. So let's live today and then plan for the future. Right. Great. Thanks for sharing, uh, sharing, Olu. And now I 
want to touch base a little bit about your investment side uh, because uh, you are the you know kind of a, a upcoming fund manager i would say you launched your debut fund uh, debut fund of 5 million dollar uh, with uh, francesco in 2019 mm-hmm. I wouldn't say the first raising first fund is easy because it's difficult but uh, it's yeah it's it's hell it's hell <laughs> but but I feel you know raising the second fund is even more difficult I don't know if you agree with me or not because you still want to show some traction mm-hmm. show want to some result mm-hmm. and uh, you managed to do your first close of second fund which is mm-hmm. great because now you're raising a 30 million dollar fund right uh, it's a it's a big achievement i would say uh, for a new Thank fund you. manager to to go for a second fund so i would love to know your journey from from zero to fund one and from fund one to fund two and what are the key lesson you learned uh, on this journey uh, which you yeah. would like to share with other fund manager or other investors um yeah first of all i'm reserving the details for my book <laughs> but um i'll give you i'll give you the abridged version um like any like any entrepreneur who tries to um get a business off the ground right um being a first time emerging manager and then investing in emerging countries yeah it's it's pretty tough right it's yeah it's 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 double layer of adversity mm. um but it makes you strong right it makes you it makes you well prepared for the world so um i would say our first fund i want you to compare it to the angel round of mm. a tech founder Okay. Right. What's the angel round? Usually, sometimes you have a product. The product has no real traction. Um, the product you're not even sure it can work. Yeah. If some people are buying, we don't know if those people are buying sustainably. We don't know if they're going to come back. Yeah. Right. We don't know what the future holds. So a lot of the times, people are betting on two things: what they see as the macro. Yeah. Which it's a proxy for opportunity yeah and what they see as your personality mm. as the fund manager or the founder right which is a proxy for if that opportunity will come to fusion mm. because you can see a fund manager pursuing a great market but they're just not the right person to deliver to do it and then you see some great people right who are pursuing a market that you think doesn't have any new growth mm. Right. And so usually angel rounds are a mesh of those two. Same thing for first time fund managers. Right. And so at that time, what you need to convince people of is first, there's an opportunity here. Yeah. You know what it is going around in 2018, 2019, selling Africa. I, I can imagine <laughs> that. <laughs> you did a lot of luck. Right. Um, Selling Africa as anything more than a philanthropic project at the yeah. time. And also um, selling yourself as the man to d- deliver this um, promise when you're not coming off a uh, 10-year or 15-year um, career in Goldman Sachs or leaving Sequoia to go start your own fund. Yeah. 
you're re- literally starting democratized again as a founder, right? And so basically it's entrepreneurship. There are two types of fund managers, right? The ones who get the blessing of the fund they were at before, they reach first close the moment they decide they want to leave. They say, okay, your first fund is 10 million, here is five, go look for the remaining five. Well, yeah. This first fund is 20 million, here is 15, or here is seven, mm-hmm. right? Or those who have spoken and gotten to first close before they even leave their job. Hmm. All the few LPs, well, this is what we're trying to do. They're like, okay, we're in five million here. And then there's the guy who decides to become um, an investor in other companies and has nothing, yeah. right? The background isn't that stellar. Um, the continent you decided to invest in isn't that stellar. There are like two exits. <laughs> right and it's just hard so what it is really is that you need to figure out a way to sell those two things for your first one yeah that's a good right point. sell those two things and go to the kind of people who would have backed your startup at angel round hmm. right those are the people you need to take money from to create the traction that you need to raise your real institutional fund which is yeah. probably going to be your second fund and you need to work as hard as possible to give an investor no excuse to pass on your fund Hmm. the next time around, right? And this is why I always say it depends on your performance Hmm. to figure out what the next phase is going to be. Yeah. And so we really went out there. I tapped into most of my network for my employers, um, friends and family, people who I knew while I was trying to build a company that we couldn't raise for. Actually, one of our investor LPs in this fund is someone we're trying to raise money for Wi-Fi Monkey seven years okay. ago, right? Um, he was the managing director at Techstars Boston at the time. Um, and now, shout out to Semyon Dukat. Now he runs um, one of the um, one of the basically best funds for immigrants in the U.S. Okay. Um, he had moved on from Techstars and now runs One Way Ventures. Right, which um, basically, you know, connecting six years later and it's like, what are you up to now? I'm like, I run a fund that invests in Africa. It's like, okay, I know you, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah, I know you and you've come a long way. So here's a check, Ah. right? And so those are the kind of um, networks you need to tap into for the first, for your first fund. And um, when you manage to get that capital together. Again, I see a discourse. I think you have to start small, especially if you're not uh, privileged. You have to start small and show what you can do with the little you've been given. And then you grow from there, right? I think one of the downfalls of um, emerging fund managers is that we set a target based on um, societal expectations, yeah, both for fund size and for the kind of things you should be doing and then you never end up even doing it. Yeah, true. Right? So just like entrepreneurship, you have to uh, start small and keep iterating. It's a repeat, repeatable process. Keep doing it, and then you grow from there. So um, that was really it. We raised what we could, um, we thought we could possibly raise. We didn't even close at 5. We closed at 4.1. Basically, we didn't get to our target, mm. right? Um, but it was enough to show what we could do. Yeah, and then pandemic hit, and the question was: Should we 
be raising for four years or should we take the money we have and go show that we're the best at doing this? And uh, we picked the latter and that was really uh, good for us. We found some amazing companies um, who have done really well and validated us as people who know how to um, pick the best companies on the continent as well as support them to success. And so, and that's the reason why uh, the first closeout of our first fund was more, more than three times our first fund. Yeah. Right. Was, yeah. And this is how growth happens. Right. But um, I think one of the major reasons is because investors who backed us the first time were happy with what they'd seen. And investors who didn't back us the first time wish they did. Right. And so that's, I think this is how you grow it. It's a result driven business and you have to keep your eyes on the ball. Yeah, no, these are, these all are, I mean, amazing point. One, what I can sense from your conversation is that you always need to build relationship over the period of time. So even the VCs or investor who didn't invest in you, but you need to keep in touch, keep them close to you because you never know how they will come back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and again, that's what I tell for, uh, a lot of uh, first time fund managers now, right, is that. It's, it's never a yes or a no. Yeah. Is it a yes now or, or no now? <laughs> right? It all depends on what you do. Hmm. Right? And um, this is why some funds open and close within three months or six months. Oh, yeah. Because the investors who are coming into that fund have probably been investing in that fund for the last, in those, in that fund manager for the last 20 years. Right? And these are relationships that were built 20 years ago. Hmm. So it's um, it's a snowball effect. Oh, yeah. You keep building this network. You keep um, building this community of people who know and trust your work as a fund. And it becomes easier and easier. But it's hard if you're not a privileged geography or person type. But is it possible? Yes, it is. And you have to roll with the punches. But when life gives you lemons, you have to make lemonade with it. And that's what we try to do instead of sit down and complain about um, how the cards we've been dealt are not <laughs> the same with someone who was born in the Bay Area, right? Um, you can still make a difference. And I think it's really about how far you've come, not where you started from. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's always important uh, to to try and keep trying. You know, there is no there is no way you can give up. And I mean, one thing I want to check with you is like, what is more difficult, raising fund as an investor or raising fund as a founder? Oh, question <laughs> you know the answer. <laughs> I know the answer, but I I thought yeah, to I check with you. Ten <laughs> x is the right amount. Um, I think it's ten x more difficult to raise as as um as an investor mm. it's just normal because when someone sees you as an investor there's a certain um level of ah oh, there's a certain level of competence mm. and um ability that they attribute to yeah. you right and that in itself is a problem mm. because um, the bar gets so much higher, right? Um, 
in regular entrepreneurship, which is founder side, it's okay to say, I don't know these things and we'll figure it out. Right? But not as a fund manager. <laughs> as a fund manager, you have to come with a complete plan. Right? And there are no questions. You can't answer, I don't know. Hmm. Right? But as, as a founder, it's okay to say you don't know because it's an iterative process. Right? And it's okay to say, hey, we failed. We'll go again. Right? Abraj is never coming back. <laughs> right? Um, but as a founder, you can pop up and raise another 350 million. Yeah. After doing an average kind of performance, right? And so it's it's very different. And I think it puts weight. And this is the reason why the average age of an investor is so much higher than the average of a, age of a founder, a founder. Right? Because it's expected that you've gathered all this experience and basically you're this crystal ball that knows it all. Right? And that's why it's so much more difficult because when I come to you as an investor, what I'm convincing you to do is to say, I'm a better investor than you. Give me your money. Right? Basically. Um, but as a founder, it says, I've discovered something and I want to pursue this opportunity. Right? Let's see how it goes. Mm. Right? Uh, and the kind of providers of the capital also for VC funds are less, um, they're more risk averse. And so the kind of questions you get from a risk averse institution or person, they're very different. The bar is so much higher. And again, funds being 10 year vehicles and being basically in continuum infinity because a fund manager usually raises another fund and another fund. Oh yeah, you have to always it on takes the... out the formal element, right? It takes out the formal element. So the investors who waited three, four years for, to see what we do with our first fund, right? And then they can say, hey, we want to invest in your second fund. As a founder, they know when an entrepreneur comes to you, if you're four years late, you're late. Yeah. It's gone, right? And so this formal drives the ability for investors to open their wallets early, yep. Yep. right? And so it's, it's, it's very different. So it's, 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 it's built for you to overlook flaws in a founder because even a founder with many, many flaws yeah. can build an Uber. And the question is, do you want to be the guy who passed on Uber because he didn't respond to your email in three days? Mm. Or you want to be the guy who said, I don't care. Here's the wire. Mm. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> and we know how you feel as a, an investor if you did. And so it's so much, so, 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 so much more difficult. But I think it's, it's, it's great because um, the tenacity it builds for you as an investor helps you to be able to help your uh, portfolio founders to raise That's money. That's true. Right. Um, it's always, I feel like it's, 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 it's always so much easier when I get on the road to help a founder raise money. You know, sometimes I just coach them. I say, see this, 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 and this, and we've fallen over each other to, to, um, to put money in your fund, uh, yeah. to put in your company. In the, the... There's no fund manager who's first fund. People are falling over each other. To put money. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, you might oversubscribe. Well, it's not the same thing. And so uh, I think the right amount, I can't remember who said this, 
um, I think it was Lolita Hop. It's 10x. 10x. Exactly 10x more difficult to raise money as an investor. That's that's great, and I agree with you. It's uh, managing money is not an easy business. So managing startup yeah. is is one thing, but managing somebody's money is not easy business. And getting return out of it, like we can't if you can't even manage your own money, how can you manage? somebody it's <laughs> money a lot of people ask like oh give me 10 million dollar and i'll do wonder and like what will you do with that and they have no answer now i love your point like as an investor you need to have a plan and you need to you need to have all the answer you cannot say that i'll figure out with your money you have Correct. to you know now important thing what you're doing with your fund is you're investing in this pre-seed and seed stage startup so mm-hmm. i assume most of the startup you're investing is either they are pre-revenue or without too much of uh, traction or or very little traction. So important question is how do you make your investment decision? Because at this stage, you don't know how that company will grow and what will happen. And what are the key thing you look in in these startup, uh, especially in Africa? Um, I'm not going to bore you with the old conversation of team, market, traction. That's everybody says that. <laughs> Every um, VC analyst who gets out of business school knows those things, but <laughs> they can still make <laughs> uh, horrible investment decisions, right? Yeah. Um, so I'll say at WeCapital, what differentiates us is two things. Um, to be able to pick great companies, you need um, the art and science of it. Mm. Um, and when I say the art is basically having a structured approach yeah. Approaching uh, your investment decisions. Basically, you have to have most of the data that you need to make an empirical decision, right? Which is actually yeah. the easy part. Uh, the other part is that you need to staff your team with people who have what I call investor IQ, right? It's that thing in your gut, right? It's that entrepreneurial feeling that can tell right or can um guess less um and be wrong less of the time than other people about the direction the market is going Mm. right or what a company's influence in a changing market is going to be no one can teach you this you can improve it by having more information at your disposal but no one can teach you this and this is why we don't hire from traditional venture backgrounds be capital we hire people who we think have investor iq but who are willing to really learn quickly Mm. right and this i think is especially investing at such an early stage yeah a lot of times you have to make that decision where is this market going remember yeah is this the right person and somewhere in between that are all the things that you cannot explain Right. The moment you can logically explain an investment decision at seed or pre-seed, and you can logically explain it completely, it's probably not going to be a world-changing investment. Right. Mm. Like it, it will be hard to convince anyone that you know I'm going to build this app and I'm going to take pictures of people's empty rooms and couches. And then a stranger, given all the serial killer document, documentaries, a stranger yeah. is going to come into my home and is going to crash on my couch and it's going to give me 30 bucks. And out of that 30 bucks, I'm going to take three bucks. Yeah. And then we're <laughs> going to build this company that's going to be worth 
10, 15, $40 billion. I'm like, get out of my office. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but so it takes someone who would say, what's, what's the ho- housing shortage? Mm. How many people are sleeping in trailer parks? Right. What's the demographic of these people? Mm. Right. Um, how much are they spending? Mm. What's their ability to pay? What's their willingness to pay? How much is a, an average hotel room? Right. That still doesn't tell you Airbnb is going to be successful, but it's some information that you can work with. Yeah. That you can pair with your investor IQ. Right. And say, you know what? This might be the future. Hmm. And this is how you win investing early. If you're investing in Airbnb series A or series B, it's a different ball game. Oh yeah. Try it and test it. Now the question is, what are hotel prices saying? How are hotels going to respond? How's regulatory authorities going to respond? Yeah. The real estate market going to say, right? Are our policies going to kick against it? These are things that are now more of science mm. that you cannot pick and say, okay, we're going to make a decision to invest in your series B. But pre-seed seed, you need people who think like entrepreneurs. Yeah, put themselves in the uh, shoes of an investor or of an entrepreneur and say, I believe you can kill this mm. because also all the empirical data, which is not complete, but I can extrapolate, I can complete the puzzle and I'm going to back you. Yeah. And early stage investors are, I think they're a rare breed. It's a, it's the ones who are doing it right. It's mm. that hybrid between being an entrepreneur and being a provider of capital and also being able to balance your risk on the portfolio side, which is your job as a money manager. And so all these other things come together to really tell you what companies should we be back in. Yeah. But as I said, the two major things that we're looking at, is this market big enough? Is the opportunity big enough? And is this person, is she, is he the right person or are they the right person to make this opportunity um, click? Yeah. And so this is what we usually look at. And I think the secret to that is picking people who think like that. Yeah. Now, I, I love your this analogy of art and science of uh, investment. And it's very important. Uh, some investor told me that they also asked themselves that would you like to work in that company? Because are you really excited about that particular market or not? Uh, or is the problem mm-hmm. you want to solve or not? Like Airbnb is a classic example. A uh, lot of investors turn them away or... or Rightly so. Their... <laughs> Rightly <laughs> so. Like, I'll, I'll rent your room in the house and stranger <laughs> will come and stay. And they're like, okay, you kick out. And, and But it's a, it's a big company. And, and like you said, if you have external validation point, what is the hotel price? Why people will do? What is uh, the demographic? In fact, I didn't mention. So my first company was Airbnb for India. Uh, mm-hmm. I launched in 2011 and we were ahead of market because a lot of our guests used to go to the, go to these houses and four o'clock they used to wake up the owner and say, I need a milk or I need a glass of water or I need tea. And, and the host said, man, you're not in a hotel. So it's, it's my house and I'm sleeping. And, and so both were unhappy. So we were ahead of time. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and like you mentioned, sometimes 
your idea is good, but uh, you are probably right person to do it, but the market opportunity is not existing or probably it's coming Correct. later. Correct. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, now, one of the key thing what we are seeing in the market is there is a lot of capital uh, and people have money available. But one thing which differentiate one investor over is, is a value add and value add in terms of a knowledge, experience, connections. Mm-hmm. Just want to understand what is your value add and how you help uh, the founders and i also saw like you have a such an impressive list of uh, lps uh, do you also bring them on board to help your portfolio companies uh short answer is yes um and so if you if you probably seen any of our press you realize that our funds are called the mentors fund one mentors fund two okay um, this is a very central piece of how we are approached the um, Africa opportunity, right? Um, at a time where resources were scarce. And when I say resources, I, I just don't mean money. I mean, um, talents to build these companies, right? And uh, a lot of just technical expertise. And so what we did is along with each of our funds, we have something we call a mentors pool, right which is a combination of people who are highly skilled in different uh, verticals or expertise in different areas who mostly are investors in the fund and some who are not who dedicate some of their time monthly to help portfolio companies as the need arises um i think i have great experience right across different things as as well as entrepreneurship francesco peter the rest of our team, um, really amazing team, but we can't cover all the things I found on my own, right? And so we have brought in people who are now just as investors in the success of the founders as us, right? To say, hey, I'm here if you need me. If you want to talk about how to, for example, um, structure to minimize your tax liabilities, I'm here to talk. I'm a partner at a tax firm, for example, who's an LP in our fund, right? Or how to build on your free AWS credits so that you're not stuck in two years when you want to move to IBM cloud, right? (laughs) It's just as simple as that. And so I think that's our number one value add. The second thing, as you know, is that our team, we spend a lot of time on the road cultivating relationships, um, both in corporate and in venture. These usually help our companies not to run out of money, hmm. right? Really open up our network, both for distribution and being able to raise follow-on um, funding, both from people who are like our LPs or investors that just are in our network around the world, to be able to add value to that and possibly create, um, possibly create um, exit opportunities, right? Like um, an exit opportunity that we recently uh, negotiated in our our portfolio, I was the one who actually made the introduction, right? A much bigger company that we didn't invest in and a much smaller company that we invested in. And we said, I think there's synergy here. You yeah. guys should talk. They came out of that conversation with uh, uh, with a term sheet to get acquired, wow. right? And so those are the kind of value um, that you probably want to add as a VC, but eventually you have to realize you're not the founder. Yeah. So a lot of times you need to be available but not in the founder space. If you wanted to build that company so bad, go become a founder, right? And so you have to stay out of their way to actually do their work. 
Mm. And but you also have to support when they need it and be available, be eager, so that they see you as a first option. Amazing. No, I, I agree with your point about uh, that. Investor is not a founder, so don't try to be get into the shoe of the founder because then then and we see a lot of cases where it happened when investor tried to drive the company mm-hmm. and everything collapsed. So so having Sorry. that clear line is is always good. Great. Thank you so much, Ulu. And uh, uh, this is kind of a, my last question. And it's basically, why do you think more venture funds should invest in, in the Africa region? Uh, and what is your future vision? You already mentioned about uh, the return side, but I mean, not on the return, return side, but actually what is your future vision, how this tech ecosystem will help to grow Africa? Um. So I, from an investment standpoint, I think there are two reasons, right? There is the reason to hedge. Yeah. Which is basically created by uh, FOMO, which is right, right FOMO. And there's also the reason for now. Hmm. And I'll start with the hedging. If a region of the world is going to house about 20% of the world population, in our lifetimes yeah um as a global investor who is serious about forecasting and succession and the future of their firm um i think it's a no-brainer to create footprint where the future is going to be and again um africa has developed slowly behind a lot of the world but the way um there's a globalization that is being caused by um, freedom of movement and tech, where um, if not for anything, mm. right, Africa being a significant part of the world is going to experience that uh, ripple effect. Let's even say they get nothing right. They're going to enjoy the ripple effect of being in the world. Yeah. And you want to miss him from that. So. Um, to have a good hedging strategy, you need to be in Africa, right? And as you know, it's getting more and more expensive. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, the second thing is there is a great opportunity for now, and it's growing, right? Um, mobile smartphone and mobile phone penetration is growing. Yeah. The demographic are people who are going to be working for the next 30, 40, 50 years by extremely young um, group of people, population growth, yeah. and access to the internet and cost of data is favorable, right? Access to oh, the yeah. internet, growing cost of data is dropping. It's, it, it just makes a lot of sense why we're seeing successful tech companies in Africa more often than we saw them 15 years ago. Oh, yeah. Right? And so when you see those kind of things, for an investor who has a global perspective and a global mandate, it just makes sense. Mm. The opportunity is here and it's now. And clearly, um, global investors have heard that. Mm. And that's why you see uh, the total investment in tech and tech enabled businesses in Africa. When I moved back home in 2017, it was like 400 million. Mm. It, no, it was 151 million. 151, okay. Yeah, it's going to be about 5 billion this year, minimum. 
So um, clearly uh, people are taking note. And also what we've seen is even the African investors are beginning to, they've joined the party. Mm. And this really helps. In our fund today, I think about 40% of the committed capital is homegrown. Ah, interesting. Yeah. And so um, this is where you need to start building wealth. And who knows, um, soon you'll see more um, funds like NASPARS who are investing in Africa funds and investing globally too. Because there's wealth being created everywhere in the world. It's just that the rest of the world takes some of the wealth created in Africa because they invest in Africa. Africa isn't investing outside. Yeah. And so they don't partake in the growth that comes from outside. And that's why I said about being a, you know, being a global player. And so um, I think Africa has come of age, which is, um, it's, 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 it's plain to see, it's clear, yeah. right? About 50% of all the top tier funds in the world are now investing in Africa, right. have at least invested in Africa. It was not the same thing 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. So, I would uh, say even five years ago. Uh, in, in five years, things have changed dramatically. Yeah. So I think it's, it's clear to see what direction we're moving in. And uh, as I said again, how this is going to continue depends on us. <laughs> to get the return. Correct. To get get uh, get financial return. And and I think what you said, that's very important for any ecosystem. And that's what I saw in India too. Uh, when you have successful founder, mm -hmm. they become investor. And then it's become like a vicious cycle. Uh, virtuous cycle, sorry. So it's become like a virtuous cycle because you have more money, you invest, and then... Uh, more founder emerge and they they make more investment and that's what happened to build a local ecosystem now thanks yeah. for thanks for sharing that and uh, uh sharing for your insight and knowledge and all uh generally we end our podcast with a with a small rapid fire round mm -hmm. an idea for that rapid fire is to know a little bit more about you as a person and what you think uh, on a personal side i mean you already answered a couple of them but i would still love to ask and and modify a little bit uh, for you Mm -hmm. uh, so whenever you're ready, I'll start with my rapid fire question. Absolutely. Go for it. Okay. So you mentioned that, uh, you don't want to be in a banking and VC space. You want to be a, become a footballer, but let's say if you, if you were not in banking VC or professional footballer, what other profession you would have selected? Um, I'll probably, so background is, I feel like I'm both right and left brained. My mother is totally artistic. My dad ah. is veterinary <laughs> surgeon, right? Um, and so I think I could have either become a lawyer hmm. or a musician. I played two instruments myself, ah. right? Um, and so, yeah, very different things. And I feel venture actually was the only career I could probably be doing. I think it brought me peace. Everything else I did, I felt like I was leaving a big, huge part of myself out. Um, venture actually brings me peace. It brings me home. Uh, it allows me to express a lot of the things that are in there, right? And um, but if I wasn't in venture, I'd probably, I'd probably be a musician yeah, or a lawyer. Musician, huh? Would love to. We'd love to see that side of you as well. <laughs> Playing. I think it's late. <laughs> it's late. <laughs> Well, you never know. It's never, never <laughs> late in the party. You never know where, once you are successful and then you say, okay, now enough with venture and I want to go into the music industry. Well, who knows? But I, yes. I'm enjoying venture a lot for now. So 
now for now it's good you are helping the society so i don't want you to leave that continue <laughs> <laughs> now uh, the second question is what is the best advice you ever got any any personal or professional advice you ever got in your career or in your life mm. i feel like i've gotten a lot of um i've gotten a lot of great advice um I'm not sure I can um I'm not sure I can remember at this point what the best advice I've ever gotten is Oh uh, yeah I'm not I'm not sure I can remember you know any advice you want to share with people Um I think for that I I probably learned a lot um is that when you decide to do something that you think is possible for you you have the ability approach it like you have no choice mm. right approach it like you have no choice mm. like you have no plan b if you fail at it then you have a plan b but not having a plan b really improves increases your chances of success so basically walking on a road without a safety net I mean even if the safety net is there do assume there is no safety net. So, Correct. It improves your chances of actually walking on survival. Huh? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh no that's a good advice. Uh the plan Bs are good but uh you should you should never have them till Yeah, it should be an afterthought. It's after thought of failure. <laughs> I agree with you. I agree with you. Now my next question is uh, uh any favorite startup uh, which you wanted to invest and you couldn't invest? None yet. None yet. Like um, I I did have one. I can't mention it clearly, but I did have one actually in the mobility space. Hmm. Right. Um, but that was the one regret I thought I was gonna have. But I feel like um, maybe eight months after we passed, um, some government policy changed against ah, okay. the company, and um. so it it never became one of my big regrets anymore <laughs> right so, um but yeah not yet i feel like i feel like i've probably invested in the companies i had the opportunity to invest in um for example or come like flutterway i would have loved to invest in that company but i was at silicon valley bank when they were raising hmm so i didn't really miss an opportunity i knew they were a great company but i wasn't in a position to pass on them yeah um yeah. i think every other company that i would have really loved to invest in i think i was able to um and i guess the jury the jury is still out right maybe i'll have a regret this time next year <laughs> no i i wish like you get a get a success whichever company you want to invest but you, you always have some company you know you always get right. missing out so i don't know the one that got away yet maybe because they're not as hugely successful as i bet against but probably in future yeah so we'll see a lot of people missed out i i know you know guys who missed out opportunity to invest in uber in their seed round mm-hmm. and and out of five three angel investors did not invest it two invested and they... and their lives are like night and day <laughs> actually like... i do know an investment investor in our investor group who got his money wired back ah. from... yes Man, when he realized that Travis, when he realized that Travis wasn't going to run the company which was the initial plan 
right? He said he wasn't going to be CEO, and the investor was like, I, no, put this not gonna... shit. I thought you were going to leave this company. So can you wire me my 50K back? And he got his wire back. So I guess that's what regrets sounds that's like. A, that's a biggest secret. Now, you're spending time between US and Africa, but I, I'm pretty sure you must be traveling different other countries as well. Yeah. Which is your favorite city in the world? Amsterdam. Amsterdam? Yes. Any particular reason? Or... Far, far. Um, I just love the energy. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a very happy vibe. Hmm. They have a mix of everything. Um, and it's, in European terms, it's a melting pot. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I, I, I really, I really like the city. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you know that it's, it's also the cycling capital of the world. So there are more number of cycles than the people in that city. So <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't know that. Maybe it's one of the reasons. It's my it's, it's a crazy city, you know, where people love their bicycle and they have two or three bicycle in the house, like an American, you know, who have two or three cars. So they have two or three bicycle in their house. Now, this is my last question. If you can change one thing in life, what would it be? Mm. Oh, mm. that's tough. Um, do you do you mean a decision I made or anything? Anything you want wrong? to change in your life? Like if you get a chance and say, "Oh, Lou, you can change one thing in life." What would you pick? Personal, professional, societal? Yeah, I would probably have. I would probably have moved. I would, have pro- I would probably have um, loved to go to an Ivy League um, college, first degree, and move to the U.S. much earlier, mm. right? Um, just for the amount of exposure I could have uh, gotten earlier in my career, Yeah. right? Um, but again, um, there are people who had those opportunities and um, are not necessarily, it's not, it's not a straight line, right? Oh, yeah. So I'm very grateful for how everything has turned out. Who knows? Um, they say good times create weak men. Who knows if I had had a better time? But um, I think it's one of those things. And that's why I try to, you know, when analysts come through the fund, I try to, you know, push them to a, a highly graded college MBA program because I feel like those were some of the opportunities that my background didn't afford me. Hmm. Um, but we move. Yeah, so that's a good point. And and sometimes you feel it would have been better, but you never know. Correct. Probably, probably you would be working as a banker rather than working as a VC now. If you, <laughs> you moved early, you got promotions and you are settled in life and you say, okay, I'm, I'm done. So I'm enjoying my life. But sometimes it's, uh, you know, like you, I like the two points you mentioned about the ripple effect. So mm-hmm. it's like, you never know what is creating right. what kind of a ripple effect. No, but thank you so much, Olu. I mean, I, I really enjoyed our conversation and uh, man, you got so much of knowledge and experience uh, and your answer uh, and your open, candid discussion. Never never follow a particular pattern or, you know, making anybody happy, but coming to the point and, and providing- Should I be worried? <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't. Uh, I mean, I, I, I love that. And, and that's what the purpose is to have this open conversation. Yeah, don't send my LPs this. <laughs> 
no we will we will not we will just post it publicly and uh, <laughs> but but thank you so much and to be honest i wish you good luck uh, in in your journey and i i see your next one should be 10x uh, bigger yeah and and we'll have probably a follow up uh, follow up conversation about uh, your experience with fund 3 absolutely um yeah i really did enjoy this conversation jasper um great work you're doing i wish you a lot of success too so thank you so much thank you for listening to this podcast we'll be inviting some other inspiring guests in the coming week you can subscribe to this podcast online to get the notification for the next episode if you like this podcast please don't forget to give us a five star rating as it will help us to spread our message if you have any feedback or suggestion for this podcast please do write to us at info@mobility-innovators.com at i look forward to see you next time thank you